Father, as we hear your word, please speak to us. Open our minds so that we might understand what you have to say. Open our hearts so that we might respond to you. Change us by your word this morning. For our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Well, there are a few things in this life worse than not belonging. Hardwired into every human is an innate desire to belong, to know who our people are, to know where our safe place is. And when you don't have that sense of belonging, well, it's unsettling, isn't it? It's uncomfortable, it's lonely, it can even be devastating. I'm sure uh, many of you will have experienced this at points in your life. I mean, you always experience it in small doses from time to time. If you visited another country, you may have felt this sense of not belonging. When you look around and see that everyone else looks different and speaks different and eats different and dresses different, you feel like you don't belong. I had that experience a few years ago. I visited Geneva in Switzerland And walking down the street, wearing my board shorts and t-shirt and carrying a massive backpack, I noticed that everyone I passed was wearing designer clothes and carrying fancy handbags and driving Lamborghinis or Ferraris or Maseratis. I did not belong. You might feel it when you walk into a gym and see a room full of bodies with no saggy bits. You might feel it when you get stuck in a conversation with a whole bunch of other people who have the same hobby, and you don't. Some of you might be feeling it right now. Maybe you're here in church this morning for the first time or the first time in a long time. Maybe you feel like you don't belong here. We're singing funny songs, we're saying odd things, we're reading from a very old book. Maybe you feel like you just don't fit in here. First, if that's you, let me just say, I'm so glad you're here. You are very welcome here, and I'd love to get to know you after. Uh, secondly, if you feel like you don't belong, well, you're in good company this morning. Because the passage that we just read, in which we're going to explore a little bit further now, teaches us that... None of us belong here with God, and therefore none of us belong here in church with God's people. You see, when Paul wrote verse 12, he was writing to people like us, people like you and me. He says, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, and without God in the world. Essentially, Paul is teaching us that there was a time when we did not belong with God. Which is an astounding thing to say, because God is the most loving, the most accepting person that there is. And yet there was a time when we were not acceptable to him. A time when we were not acceptable to our own Father. Not acceptable to the one who lovingly made us. We were separate from Jesus. We were excluded from being one of God's people. God's promises meant nothing to us. And as Paul sums it up at the end of verse 12, 
We were without God and without hope. See, not belonging with people is bad. Not belonging with God, well, that's, that's terrible. But today we're going to see how God fixes both of those problems for us. He gives us true belonging. Belonging with God and belonging with his people. But to understand what God has done for us, we first need to understand what the situation was before that. And that takes us all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, to the Garden of Eden in Genesis, where Adam and Eve first disobeyed God. Now, I'm sure many of you know the story. God creates people and he defined for them what was good and what was not. But Adam and Eve tried to redefine what is good. See, God said eating the fruit of the tree was not good. Eve looks at the fruit and decides that it was good. God said listening to him and obeying him was good. But the serpent convinced Eve that what God said was not good. This is the essence of human sin, isn't it? Redefining God's laws. Redefining his definition of what is good and what's not. And we've been doing that ever since. Redefining God's laws. And so at the moment Adam and Eve first sinned, they first redefined God's laws, well, the peace between them and between them and God was broken. For the first time ever, humans had a sense of not belonging. Adam blamed his wife, and all of a sudden their relationship started to deteriorate. But worse than that, The intimate connection that humans enjoyed with God. They lived with him in the garden. Well, now that is ruined. And Adam and Eve are banished from God's presence. The garden was the place where humans could live with God. But because they disobeyed, because they rebelled against God, well now... They cannot be in his presence. They're banished from the garden, and from that point on, God's children do not belong with their heavenly Father. They are outsiders. But as you keep reading through Genesis, God, well, he starts a new family. His children rejected him, and so he chooses some new ones. He adopts some new ones. And he chooses Abram, later called Abraham, to be the biological father of this new family, which grows to become a nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish race. And so as the story of the Old Testament unfolds, we see the story of a God who shows love to his new family. And there's a few key features that we need to see in the Old Testament. First, he makes a covenant with them. In many ways, it's like a marriage covenant, promises. He joins himself with his people. He says to them, I am your God, you are my people. And just like the wedding ring is the sign of the marriage covenant, God's covenant with his people also had a sign. But this sign was a bit different. For starters, it was permanent. The sign of God's covenant promises to his people was circumcision. Every Jewish male was circumcised as a physical sign, a reminder that the Jews alone were God's people. 
So there was the covenant promises and the circumcision as a sign of that covenant. In addition to that, God also gave his people the law. He taught them how to live as his people. And he provided a way for them to be in his presence again. They were able to offer sacrifices, which made them temporarily clean before God. And so right throughout the Old Testament, God's people were almost exclusively Jews. Which means that if you're a Gentile, a non-Jew, not only did your sin prevent you from belonging with God, well, you were also an outcast from God's people. And so there was no hope of that ever changing. You did not belong. The covenant promises that God had made to his people, they didn't belong to you. They didn't benefit you. The law, which made it possible for the Jews to be acceptable to God, well, it wasn't for you. And so the only hope for a Gentile was for the Jews to invite them in. And that didn't happen very often. By the time we fast forward to Paul's day when he's writing to the Ephesians, this is around 62 AD, the Jews absolutely despised Gentiles. They hated them. They were openly hostile towards them. Calling someone uncircumcised was a derogatory term. The Jews considered Gentiles to be good for nothing except stoking the fires of hell. If a Gentile woman was giving birth, a Jew would not offer them help because helping would only help to bring another Gentile into the world. If a member of the Jewish community wanted to marry a Gentile, the Jews would hold their funeral because marrying a Gentile was worse than death. And all of this hostility, all of this alienation is what Paul wants the Ephesians to remember in verse 11. Have a look there, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, and without God in the world. Because of sin, they were separated from God, and because they were not Jews, there was no hope of that ever changing. They were alienated. They did not belong. They were godless and hopeless. And Paul says, remember that. Because it's only when you remember what you were that you can appreciate what you are now. They were alienated. They did not belong. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The people who did not belong were brought near. They now are given hope the godless the hopeless they now belong and in verse 14 we see that they're also being brought near to God's people Jesus has destroyed the barrier 
between Jew and Gentile. He has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. We just spoke about their hostility. In the Jerusalem temple, there was literally a dividing wall which separated the outer court where Gentiles could go from the inner court where Jews only could go. Placed on that wall were regular signs, like spaced regularly around the wall, were signs that saying trespasses will be executed. This was literally a dividing wall of hostility. Gentiles did not belong with God or with his people, but Jesus has figuratively torn down that dividing wall. This is like 1989 in Berlin. The wall is being torn down. But this isn't just reconciliation between a divided city or between rival political ideologies. By tearing down this wall, Jesus is opening the way for anyone to come into his family. He's making it possible for us to belong with God. He does it in verse 15 by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. The ceremonial law that God had given his people to make it possible for them to be clean was now unnecessary. Sin had been dealt with once and for all by Jesus' sacrifice. Now, it's hard for us to get our heads around this. It's hard for us to see that this matters because, you know, we're not Jews or or we're not Gentiles. We're not excluded from citizenship. We're not uh, banned from the temple. We're not alienated from God in this same way. But we need to see that these are absolute outsiders being told they now belong. This is two groups who were at war. Two groups who hated each other, now being told they are united in peace. And it's all being made possible because Jesus gives his followers a new life. And this is supremely relevant to us. Because take a look at the second half of verse 15. He says, he, Paul's saying he, that is Jesus, his His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. See, the reason that Jesus can bring peace in a way that no one or nothing else can is that Jesus recreates his people. He gives his followers a new identity. The whole point of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is to show the Ephesians that by putting their faith in Jesus, well, they're not simply adding something to their life. They're getting a new life. A Christian is not a person with a life and then who just adds Jesus. No, a Christian is a new creation. They have a new life. They've been born again. And with that new life comes a new identity. Paul shows us here that Jesus' purpose wasn't to bring Jews and Gentiles together. His purpose was to create 
new people, a new humanity, a new family of people who belong to him. So Christians, we're no longer defined by being Jews or being Gentiles. That's the old life. The new identity as as people who belong to Jesus. And because of this new identity, Jews and Gentiles can have peace with one another. The thing that used to divide them is dead. It no longer matters if you're Jewish or not. They belong to Jesus now. They are one new humanity. They are one body. They are one temple in which God lives in peace. That is true belonging. They used to be completely alienated, but now they live in harmony with God. They used to be far away from Christ, but now they belong because they belong to him. What's this all got to do with us? These issues are not our issues, are they? We're not religious outsiders. We're not excluded from God's promises. So what does this mean for us? Well, I'm going to finish with three important implications that arise out of this passage for you and for me. Firstly, if you want to truly belong, you need to belong to Jesus. What Paul wrote about Christians here back then is still true of us today. We were all at one time separated from God, alienated from our Creator. We were unacceptable to our own Father, and not because He's a bad dad but because we're rebellious children. We ran away from him. He told us what was good. We tried to redefine it. We tried to live under our own authority, and it's not good. And all the alienation and division and hostility that we experience today in our lives, well, that's just symptoms of the alienation and division and hostility that we experience with God. We are all separated from God by our sin. But it doesn't have to be that way, does it? The good news is that perfect belonging, the most satisfying relationship that you will ever know, is available to each and every one of you through the forgiveness of your sins in Jesus. You can belong. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. It doesn't matter if you're educated or not. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what country of the earth you come from. You can belong if you belong to Jesus. If you want to belong, then you need to belong to Jesus. This is where we all belong. This is where we will all feel at home. And so if you haven't trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, do that today. If you have, rejoice. Rejoice that you belong. And remember what you were. Paul wants to remind the Ephesians of what what they were. It's important that we realize how far away we were. Because then it will help us to appreciate how far Jesus has brought us.
That's our first implication. The second, we need to value the peace that we have. We need to value the peace that we have. If Jesus died to reunite us with our Heavenly Father, then clearly that relationship must be pretty important. If Jesus has taken you who were far away from God and brought you near, if he has overcome God's wrath and brought you peace, if he has taken you who were godless and hopeless and made you a new creation, let's not treat that as if it's nothing. Jesus died for you to belong. So what are you doing to invest in that relationship? What are you doing that shows that you value it? Does the way you relate to God reflect the magnitude of this relationship? When, or maybe if, you open up your Bible... When or maybe if you pray, when or if you come to church, does it even occur to you that you are in relationship with the God of the universe? That is no ordinary thing. That should blow our minds. And yet we so easily treat it like it's nothing. Imagine you had a particularly well-connected friend who made some phone calls and pulled some strings and managed, at great effort, to set up a meeting between you and the Queen. You and the President of the United States. I don't know who you would want to meet with. You and someone extremely important. You will be guest of honour at dinner. An enormous privilege the kind of meeting that others could only dream of. And then the day of the meeting finally comes around and you don't even bother to show up. You just wander down to KFC in your trackies and go home and watch TV. That's sort of what we do with God sometimes, isn't it? Jesus went to great lengths so that we could have relationship with God. And so often we just neglect that relationship altogether. We treat it like it's nothing. Let's not treat this like it's nothing. Let's remember who we are in relationship with and what a privilege that is. If what this passage says is true... And we need to value the peace that we have with God. Thirdly and finally, this passage teaches us that if Jesus has truly made us a new creation and united us all together, then we should be serious about church unity. Jesus' death has created a new humanity. He hasn't just added something to existing lives. He has created new lives. He has recreated us. He has made us born again. And he saved us into one body, one temple, one church in which God dwells by his spirit. 
this church here, you know, this room, this is just one tiny little part of God's church. One tiny little part of God's new family. A family that covers every nation on earth and covers all of human history. And Jesus died to make this family one. Which means it's not our job to tear it apart again. The sad reality in the church is that we allow divisions to grow within the congregations and we allow judgment and criticism to create divisions between congregations, between churches. Now, churches are full of sinners. We're still in a process of growing to be more like Jesus. And so in one sense, this is always going to happen. I mean, what do you expect when you get a room full of sinners together? There's going to be problems. But I think there's a personal challenge to us this morning to consider how we as individuals might be fanning the flames of hostility in God's church. Does your gossip about other people in the congregation, does that help to unite God's church or does it divide it? Do your judgmental words about the church down the street, does that reflect the unity of God's church? Or are they merely a reflection of your own spiritual pride? Today, let's remember that Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility amongst his people. And we're not in the job of rebuilding it. That is not our task. So let's pray that here in this church and right across all of God's church we might actually reflect the peace and unity that Jesus bought with his own blood. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we praise you for the wonderful work of our Lord Jesus. We thank you that in him, we who were far away from you, we who were godless and hopeless, have been brought near. That you have given us true belonging that you have made us your people, that you've united us as your church, that you've made us the temple of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would these realities ring true in our lives? Would we rejoice that we are now at peace with you? And would you help us to cultivate this relationship that Jesus spent great cost on creating? Would you help us to actually treasure you for who you are this week? And Lord, would you help us to fight for unity within this congregation and within your church as a whole? Lord, keep us from the sinful pride that creates divisions in your church. Help us to recognise that we now belong to you that you in your love have saved your people together as a church and may we preserve the unity that you have created. Lord, fill us with love and patience with one another. Lord, it's not easy for us to be united together. So Lord, I pray that you would equip us by your spirit to express this unity for your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.
Amen.